Welcome to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branning, owner of the Unique Garden Center. Join us each week right here as Mike discusses gardening topics and takes your calls and questions. Our call-in number is 366-8471. Now, here's your host, Mike Branning. Hi, Hi, Mike. How are you doing? Good. Ran a little bit late. No, that's okay. I ran to the farmer's market real quick and... I go there early, so that way I always bump into a customer or somebody who has a question. Yeah. And uh, so if I go early, then it's not as crowded. Oh, nobody but blames you, I got Mike. snagged today. Are you kidding? If and, I got a hold of you in public? <laughs> so, anyway, I apologize for that. Oh, no problem. But, uh, but yeah. So what are we talking about today? Uh, one of the things we're going to talk about today is um, there's a plant that people sometimes come in and ask about. And uh, we also carry it in stock as well, and it's called the desert milkweed. Mm, and uh, you know, it, it doesn't it, it blooms really heavily. Yeah. And but it's not a real showy bloom. It's just kind of an off-white bloom, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, nothing overly spectacular about it. But it blooms very heavy. But the cool thing about it is that it does attract uh, butterflies and bees and hummingbirds. Um, so That's people, true. you know, like to buy it because of all the activity that it brings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but what I wanted to mention this morning is, you know, another uh, critter that it attracts is the tarantula hawk. Oh yeah. And uh, and and once they find it, you know, once we have one tarantula hawk that finds it, mm-hmm. he goes out and he tells all of his friends and relatives, and and before you know it, you have fewer bees and butterflies and hummingbirds because the tarantula hawks kind of take over yeah and uh so territory um and i mean a a tarantula hawk is a really cool looking insect yeah but you don't want to get bit by one either no (laughs) because the sting is is really bad yeah i've heard and so if you do plant uh, a milkweed then you know it'd be great to work into the landscape somewhere in the yard but just be sure that you don't plant it in a traffic flow area or mm-hmm, an outside mm-hmm. hangout area. Right, right. Uh, because of the fact that they will attract the oh, tarantula hawks. That's so, but if you have it planted in a more distant area of the landscape, yeah. then everybody can, you know, let bygones be bygones. Yeah. You can coexist. Right. And everything is good. And they kind of will help with some, maybe mitigating some different. Um, not necessarily pests, but, you know, they'll play an interesting role in that ecology for sure. Right. Like they'll be right. in there. Yeah. yeah, like I said, they're a good-looking insect. Yeah, they look You know, really it's cool. that kind of rusty uh, red color yeah. along with the, the black. Kind of like metallic-y. Black. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're pretty cool-looking. There's a place, I think, in, in our local area. I don't want to totally, you know, blow up their spot, as the kids say, but there's definitely a place that's a – they are specifically growing milkweed for a project for something long-term, and it's attracted a bunch of these uh, – Oh, I bet. Yeah, tarantula hawks, is that how they yeah, yeah, The tarantula hawks, and I got to take a bunch of pictures there, and I, I was sh- just shocked to see how many of them there were, how large, healthy, right. and sort of bumbly, kind of yep. kind of scary to get too close to. You yep. naturally feel instinct to get away from exactly. them. Exactly. <laughs> so – you know, another good shrub, too, if you want to attract uh, honeybees, which I would encourage anybody to do because oh, yes. the honeybees are in peril mm-hmm. because of agricultural practices, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the, the more a homeowner can do to feed the honeybees, then they'll definitely be you know, a lot better off. 
And, uh, and there's a plant called Blue Mist. And it gets roughly about uh, two and a half to three feet high and wide. And it will bloom from late spring through fall. And I mentioned before, you know, any bloom is going to attract, whether it be a honeybee or a butterfly. Um, but some plants are just a magnet mm-hmm. when it comes to luring them in. Yeah. And yep. the blue mist is one of those shrubs. Oh, and gosh. the bloom isn't fragrant, but it's very heavy, very profuse in bloom. It's kind of a light blue blossom. Okay. That's and it's saying. really a pretty uh, shrub when yeah, it's in bloom. It, it is. does go dormant during the winter, uh, but it is definitely a bee magnet when it comes into bloom. And uh, that'd be another shrub that you could work into your landscape. And again, you know, all plants are going to attract bees, mm-hmm. um, but bees that are, or plants that are really a magnet to, you know, to bees, then even though you want to do right by the bees at the same time, there's always going to be a good alternative shrub to plant in this area, be it, you know, the entry to your, to your front door or out around a patio where you hang out a lot in the evening or whatever. And uh, so you could have other things that will have a lot more minimal bee activity right. versus, you know, a, a shrub like the blue mist. Sort of spread the love if you have to pick exactly. something, you don't have to target Yeah, so them. you can still have, you know, an aesthetically pleasing landscape mm-hmm. and uh, shrubs that will attract, you know, the heavier bee uh, activity or like in the milkweed case, the tarantula hawks, have them further away where you can still enjoy them from a yeah. distance and you're still doing right by them. Right, right. But they're not going to be that way. You can all coexist on your property. Yeah, we got we got decent enough sized yards out here. Yeah, you can go ahead and you. We don't mean put it all the way out, you know, where you right. can't reach it or can't see it. But just right. if it's in your walkway, you might be asking for trouble. Exactly. And, and if you have anything you do want to ask, uh, don't forget seven six zero three six six eight four seven one. We're a little shorter on time, so make sure you call that office line if you have any questions. Okay, and uh, but uh, yeah, the next word I was going to bring up on board is. Uh, right now, is a it's a shrub, and it could be considered a small tree, mm-hmm. and it's called a blue chase. A lot of blue. Uh, and um, we planted a couple at the uh, Hide of the Star parking lot Ooh. a number of years ago. And there's also a couple in the tractor uh, supply parking lot. Oh. And, uh, and yeah, lot. the ones that you see in both places are... They have a cone-shaped flower. Hmm. They bloom very heavy. Oh, yeah. I know what you're, I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, those are cool. And, uh, and they attract a lot of bee activity. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and they get a, a, a blue blossom, mm-hmm. kind of a spiky blue blossom. Oh, wow, that's and funny. And very heavy bloomer. Yeah. They and, are, um, and they also, even though that's the more popular color, but they also bloom in uh, like a lavender pink. Yeah. And also a white. Does that mean? Do, do those also attract birds too? Like I feel like I've seen a lot of like bird activity, or maybe just, maybe they're picking off the bugs. I don't know, but I've seen like a lot of. So I mean, you'll have that bird activity, but uh, nothing like you do when it comes to the bee activity, though. Okay, cool. And then and also the butterfly activity. Yeah. Yep. Uh, cool. But it's a great uh, again it's by nature. It's a shrub, and they're going to attain a height of. Right around 12 feet. Yeah, wow. Sometimes a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll get easily, you know, 10 to 12 feet high and wide. Yeah. That's and if wild. you want to grow them into a, a single trunk tree, which they refer to as a standard, it's, it's kind of like a crepe myrtle. Mm. A crepe myrtle is a bush by nature, 
but then you can buy them in oh, tree right. form yep. yeah. where they, like, you know, cut off all the lateral branches and just mm. encourage the one shoot to grow up. And then they will pinch it out when it gets to a certain height and they'll let it branch out. Now, it's always going to try to go back to being a bush because yeah, that's, that's what it is by nature. Yep. Okay. So it's going to sucker up on the bottom, but as long as you cut the sucker growth off, oh. then it'll maintain that single trunk status, and then you'll have a nice – so you don't have room for a, a full-size tree. Right. Then, But you, can, you, you still need the height, and you want to have a tree look. Uh-huh. Then whether you do the crepe myrtle or the, the blue chase, either one would work out really well. Yeah, I wonder how many people know that you can, like – yeah, because I would think you got to leave that bottom, like something, like it needs those bottom branches and all that kind of, what did you call that again? The shrubbery near the, the branches near the bottom? Well, again, it's a shrub by nature, but sure. if you prune it into a single trunk tree, then it's, it's always going to sucker. Oh, suck. Yeah. The, and, yep. and that's just basically the tree or the bush trying to go back to being what it was meant to be wow and so but in your yard then you're the boss right of course yeah and, and so all you gotta live. do is just cut it off yeah and it, then it'll go it'll stay a, a tree right it makes a lot of sense it's putting its energy into that one shoot you know you're exactly you're giving it less options but yeah. uh but yeah, you know, they're worth going by and taking a look at because they're yeah. when they're in bloom they're a really pretty tree mm-hmm. now keep in mind uh they are invasive mm-hmm. so they will reseed which isn't a big deal because right. if you maintain your yard, if you see a seedling coming up, yeah, yeah. you can either you know dig it up, transplant it, pull it, whatever. But if you don't get in the yard very often, mm. then you're going to start seeing blue chase trees all over the property. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they, they do tend to reseed quite readily, which a lot of things do. Right. I was. Yeah. Uh, but with just general maintenance, it, w- it wouldn't get out of control at all. Yeah, I was going to ask if there's like any warnings about like. Uh, invasive species like is that is you know I, I hear that phrase in my my mind because I'm not that well informed mm-hmm. goes to like oh no you're not supposed to plant that ever you know it's invasive right. but no it's like hey you, you can definitely you're saying it you know you could plant it just you have you can be on it and it'll won't be a problem exactly yeah. exactly but uh and I know years ago um when I first became introduced to this plant we we're doing a, a school project out in 29 mm. and uh and this one location would have been a perfect spot. And I could just visualize when the trees in bloom. Well, I was going to grow as a bush. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but it has a, a five-point leaf, so it looks like a marijuana leaf. Oh, right. That's and uh, and we ended folks. up getting a call back <laughs> yeah. from the school, and we had to pull the tree out yeah. and replace it. Mm-hmm. Because kids were picking the leaves off, thinking that it was a, a pot plant. Yeah, that's all it takes. And that was kind of a, a funny coincidence. Yeah, shout out to Twenty Nine Palms, you know. But, um, <laughs> Grew up there. But uh, so I only I only use it on a on a, a school project that one time. Yeah, and not again, just because of that five point leaf and uh, what kids thought it might be. Clever though, if you're ever trying to fool somebody, you know. There but, you go. Uh, <laughs> but you know, also if you look it up, uh, you know, Vitex which is the, the genus of the yeah. blue chase tree, mm-hmm. um, is also a medicinal herb mm-hmm. for women when it comes to uh, their menstrual cycle and oh, all sure, that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And cool, uh, so that's also recommended for that. So if you have any kind of issues there, you can look it up, yeah, and uh, it'll be right there. Awesome how many things, too, that if you just grow it in your garden or your yard or something, especially the desert 
it has a lot of medicinal exactly helpful herbs and exactly stuff. exactly so but yeah the blue chase is definitely worth looking into oh, you need cool. a uh, bush or now it does go dormant during the winter uh, so keep that in mind mm-hmm. but if you're looking for any kind of a, a privacy break between you and the neighbor mm-hmm. um, or visually want to you know kind of distract from yeah something, they are kind of mm-hmm, um then dense. it'll definitely it, and it grows very fast that's cool it that's grows cool. really fast yeah and it, it's also when it's established it's also drought tolerant as well nice but how fast do you think you could get let's say like six feet which is about half of its um maximum height uh, if you plant if, it, if you planted a, a blue chase and once it got rooted in mm-hmm. uh you can easily expect two feet a year out of it wow that is fast. Yeah. And okay, even more, maybe. If you're generous with the water, you may even yeah. get more. Yeah, yeah. If it's like the only planting that season yeah. or something, yeah, why not? That's exactly. so cool. Hey, we got about less, yeah, less than 10 minutes. Want to remind you folks, don't me- me interrupt, interrupt, but 760-366-8471 if you want a question. Okay. And now that we're knocking on the door to July mm-hmm. and the we real haven't heat. had any uh, summer rains yet, Mm-mm. now would be a great time a to start thinking now. about watering your natives. You know, so it comes to your Joshua trees. Anything will respond in a positive way to water. Of course. And and they've been waiting all year. We've been waiting all year. You know, so they had a a good winter and a good Mm -hmm. spring with rain. But now that we're getting into summer, um, depending upon what kind of shower activity we get this summer. But uh, as far as the health of of the Joshua tree and any other native in the property, if you give them a watering at least once a month, mm. you know, ideally twice a month would be ideal. Yeah. And, uh, and again, when you water the Joshua tree, you want to water it in the morning or the evening. And when you water it, if you have more than one on the property, then water the one tree, then go to the next and water it or do whatever else you're going to do. But it's important that you always come back and give the tree a second watering. Yeah, I heard about this. I was because they have, at the end of the leaf, if they get uh, rainfall naturally out of the sky then they have what they call stomates. And the stomates remain closed when there's no uh, water interaction. But when you water them down like a natural rain would, then that activates the stomates to open up to take the water in. Because when you get the the summer rains, they're usually uh, fast and quick and not very Mm long-lived. And so you're not going to get a deep water penetration like you would during Mm -hmm. the winter and the spring. So by, you know, giving them that initial watering, then that's going to activate the stomach to open up. Mm. But if you don't go back and hit them a second time, then you've made the stomates open up and respond to the water, Mm. but there's no more water. Yeah. So you want to be sure that second watering is really important. Wow. And and then with everything else, whether you hose down, you know, a creosote or a choya mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah. a native juniper. Yep. Um, again, just mimic nature because this time of the year, they don't get the deep watering, mm-hmm. but you, they do get the overhead watering. Yeah, yeah. And then that's if we good. have a dry winter, then in the winter is when you want to give them a deep watering because that's when they would normally get it. God. So it. ideally, oh. if you just mimic nature, then they'll be a happy camper. And both ways are saving you water. It's just a little bit less water. In the, exactly. I mean, yeah, so exactly. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then for those who are involved in the sewer system, if they had Joshua trees relocated on their property, it's extremely important that you do water them because they're, even though they were 
hopefully tree spaded. Yeah. Uh, but whether they're tree spaded or bare rooted, uh, that you know, for the next two to three years, that watering is going to be really critical for them to be re-rooting again. Yeah. And yeah. to do well. It seems like a lot of what we end up doing is just kind of mimicking nature, and then sort of backing our way out from right. that, like adjusting. Yeah, yeah. So if you do have a, a transplant of Joshua tree or yucca um, due to the sewer problem, you know, issue, then uh, definitely give them a watering about yep. twice a month, and that way they'll root in better, and that way you can guarantee their survival, and they'll do very well. Yeah, it's kind of like tricking them into <laughs> doing, you're kind of tricking them into absorbing more water, or, yeah, we're, yeah, well, you're tricks. just basically giving them their needs because they're yeah. disrupted from their, you know, their original uh-huh. location. Yeah. And so when they're relocated to another area, then you want to be sure to give them the extra watering that will encourage them to put out the mm-hmm. root system yeah. and become reestablished again. Help them adapt. To you know, I'm not sure what the policy is on trees that are being relocated for the sewer and they're doing it on, on bare land. Hmm. or whether it be, you know, county property or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure. I know they got watered in initially when they were first relocated. Yeah, of course. They got watered in when they were moved, but I don't hmm. know if they're going back and rewatering them again. And hopefully they are, because otherwise you're going to have a, a pretty high loss in plant material because that huh. watering is really critical. That's a good question. I wonder when it stops the sort of caretaking of the transplanted tree. You know, so I would hope that, you know, whoever's in charge of that would go by. And, and again, you know, you don't have to water them really during the winter months, but it's really critical during this time of the year when it's hot mm-hmm. that they get that extra water in to help them become reestablished and yeah. and be encouraged to put out new root and become reestablished. Yeah. Especially if you're going to take the time and spend the money to move them properly right. with it's a tree a- <laughs> spade, then, you know, just go the extra mile and, to give them that extra watering during the heat of the summer to get them through the heat of the summer, get them established. Mm-hmm. And after a couple of years, then they're back on their own. Right. Then right. you can leave them alone. Yeah. Just imagining all the, like the kind of countless Joshua trees out there that, that might've been moved. And then everyone kind of gets, well, to, there are hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. Wipe their hands and say, Hey, yeah. we did it. We're done. And exactly. In reality, those things, depending on the season that you planted it, it might not get water again after the planting Exactly. For months. Yeah, that's exactly. interesting. So, but if the tree is on your property, then you can easily, yeah, you and you may not that. be aware that it needs to be watered because mm-hmm. you probably weren't given any kind of a post care program. Yeah, even just a little card or something that kind exactly. of tells you what to do. Yeah, that'd be great. And uh, so, if you didn't get any kind of a post care instruction, then, and you're listening to the radio program, then definitely by watering the natives that were removed mm-hmm. will definitely you know, secure their becoming established yeah. and their survival rate. Right. Cause do a lot of people move their Joshua trees just from like another, from one part of their property to another part of their property. Is that typical? Is that how it's, uh, it's not done as often now because of the, the fishing game in moving Joshua trees and whatnot. But it used to be oh. fairly common that uh, if you wanted to, you know, build something, then you could just uh, relocate that tree or yeah. that yucca yeah. And you know, leave it on the property, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then you know, build what you're going to build, right? Yeah. And that way, you can relocate the tree on the property, and it's like you nobody else is just bulldoze yeah, it. It's just my my responsibility. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason this whole thing came around with the fishing game was because trees were being destroyed right. in record numbers 
just for greed rather than doing the right thing for the tree and building your home or your commercial project. Mm-hmm. You know, think of the tree first and uh, and move the tree, relocate yeah. it, and, you know, hopefully you can give it, you know, either work it back into the landscape or you can adopt it out to somebody who's looking for mm-hmm. a Joshua mm-hmm. tree. Mm-hmm. That way the tree's longevity is secured. Yeah. And yeah. you can still build your project, but you took care of the tree at the same time. Yeah, I guess it's not like it's impossible to do something with it now, but definitely do a little bit more legwork and get it, to someone who wants it seems like a, that's that's huge that there are people out there who would like to have one on their property or or have a place where they can preserve a lot right. of them. Well, I know back in the day when I was actively moving trees, um, then uh, we would have an adoption list. Mm-hmm. And there was going to be a, a piece of property uh, that was going to be built on. Then the way it was back then is that whoever the ultimate consumer of the property was, whether it be a commercial project or the homeowner, yeah. if they didn't have use for the tree, then they would call me and I would go out and harvest the tree and they would pay for my harvesting the tree and then I would have an adoption list of where the tree That's awesome. wanted to go to yeah. and then I would take it there and then it would be taken care of and it would be watered and it worked. That's so touching to me. That's awesome. You know, it worked really, really well. Yeah. You know, and then that all kind of fell apart and then they were just being bulldozed, which is when the state got involved and, uh, and sadly, you know, with the state getting involved, uh, which I was in favor of at, at the beginning, um, but they don't have a post-care program. They don't mandate the trees be moved to the tree spade. Mm. Um, and so their safety and security isn't as good as it should be and could be and hopefully will be down in the future. Yeah, I hope so as well, Mike. Well, thank you so much for being here for us. And, you bet. Uh, Have a great day. It's been great having you. You too. Thanks for listening to the Unique Garden Show, hosted by Mike Branding of Unique Garden Center. Join us again next week at the same time, 8.30 to 9 a.m. with your questions and calls, right here on Z1077. For more information, call Mike at 365-1511.